Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer and a senior partner in a large law firm in Chicago. His wife, Anna, and he were ardent supporters of the great evangelist D.L. Moody. They were great friends. Spafford had invested in real estate north in North Chicago, and in the spring of 1971, his holdings were pretty large. In October of 1871, the great fire of Chicago reduced the city to ashes and wiped out all of Horatio Spafford's properties and investments. Two years after the devastation of the great Chicago fire, the family had planned a trip to Europe, especially to England, where the great D.L. Moody would be leading a revival service and, and services there with his good friend Ian Sankey, his song leader, and the Spaffords wanted to be there with them and to enjoy some time of vacation. But just before they were to get on the boat to go to Europe, Horatio Spafford was detained by some business demands, and so he put his family on the boat to go to Europe and told them, I will join you in a couple of weeks. On November 22nd, 1873, while crossing the Atlantic on the steamship Villa du Havre, the ship was struck by a steam sailing vessel, killing 226 people, including all four of Spafford's daughters, Annie, age 12, Maggie, age 7, Bessie, age 4, and a little 18-month-old daughter named Tatiana. I tell you that, and then I tell you that before all of this, they lost an infant son as well. His wife, Anna, survived the tragedy, and upon arriving at Cardiff, Wales, sent a telegram back to the States for Mr. Spafford that read, Saved alone, what shall I do? Shortly afterwards, Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife, Upon boarding the ship, he asked the captain to alert him when they came to the spot where the ship went down containing his daughters. He wanted to be awake and and he wanted to be alert and, and he wanted to be thinking about that as they went over that spot. Certainly, when the time came, the captain came, I think it was in the nighttime, and said, we're about to pass over the spot that you wanted to know about. And so Horatio Spafford went out to the bow of the ship as it passed over pretty close to where they thought that the ship had gone down, and as the ship went over that spot, he could, he's just, the words came to his mind, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. A few weeks later, he would, or after he heard that in his head, he went to his cabin, he wrote those words out, it is well with my soul, and a few weeks later, He would write the song that we have come to know and love. Today, it is well with my soul. It has become one of the most beloved songs in all of church history. Told him in the first service, one of my fondest memories of my life is when I was in Bible college, we would take a break over the Christmas holidays, and then we would come back to school, and when you go to Bible college, you go to church all the time. had chapel every day. And uh, we had to dress up for chapel, so we'd put our suit on, and that first... Tuesday night back for chapel services after Christmas, the, the, I knew one thing for sure. I knew that we were going to sing two songs. We were going to sing Wonderful Grace of Jesus, which is a great old hymn, and we were going to sing It Is Well With My Soul. And the students knew it by heart. 
And to be in that old chapel with great acoustics, with a bunch of passionate Bible college students, men and women, who were singing this song from memory and had longed to be together and loved the Lord so much and sang this out with such fervor, it is one of the great memories of my life. I can hear it even now. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate. It is well, it is well with my soul. I've been thinking this week about what it takes to be able to say those words. What does it take to be able to say, in the, in the face of great tragedy, in the face of great hardship, what does it take to be able to say, it is well? Because let's just be honest. It can seem impossible to say those words. Some of us have been through things, maybe you have been through some things where when I talk like this, you're like, yeah, Brett, that sounds great, but that's impossible. So what does it take? Last Saturday, I was with my mother, and I told you last week that uh, often, as a youngster, it was nothing for me to come down the steps and see my mom having her quiet time with her Bible in her lap, and, her, and her, she was praying, had her notebook, and that that still happens now as an adult. I was home to visit my parents, and sure enough, I came out on Saturday morning, and Dad wasn't up yet, Mom was awake, and uh, I walked into an empty still quiet living room and there was my mother with her bible in her lap praying so i had a book with me i know better than to go out there by myself just take a book with you sit down with my highlighter and start reading my book and waited for her to finish and when she finished we started talking she was asking me about church and asking me about sermons and asked me what was coming up you know last week and i told her i was really looking forward to it and then she said what's after that and i told her we're going to do it as well with my soul. And I said, Mom, I kind of need your help. I said, I want to kind of think through what does it take to be able to say it is well with my soul. So my mama and I sat there in the stillness and we came up with four things. And the first is gratitude. Every day of your life, you need to take stock. You need to look around and you need to identify what it is that you're thankful for. Gratitude is not just the feeling you get at Thanksgiving. Gratitude is the engine that drives the Christian experience. It is, it is at the core of everything we do. Gratitude should be a daily touchstone in our life. Every day we need to do an inventory and come away praising God for what he has done in us and for us and through us, for what he has given to us, the way he has blessed us. We need to be very in touch with the gratitude that we have to God for what, what we've experienced in life. And then gratitude leads to humility. And I won't say a lot here because I tend to hammer this subject pretty regularly. It is one of the core values at Cross Lane. If you take the, the word Christ, we have built a series of core values out of that word, and the H in Christ stands for humility. I will say this, it is at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus humility. 
If you've ever wondered how Jesus was able to withstand and to go through the things that he went through in his life, the answer is humility. Humility will make you kinder. It will make you more generous. It will make you a better encourager. Humility will save you from embarrassment many, many times in life. If you could just show a little humility, it'll save you so much embarrassment. Humility makes it difficult for you to be offended. And let's just be honest, Christians are some of the most easily offended people in the world, and we shouldn't be. We should have a very low opinion of ourselves. And our problem is we often have a very high opinion of ourselves. When you have humility, you knock that down. It's hard to offend somebody who doesn't think they're all that. Humility is the cornerstone of forgiveness. If you are struggling with forgiving someone, my suggestion would be you are struggling at some point with humility because it takes great humility to, get, to offer forgiveness. And it is humility that enables us to say it is well with my soul. And then gratitude and humility will hopefully lead to trust, which is essential to being able to go through the hardships and disappointments of life. I think we are becoming more, uh, less and less is the way I should say. I don't want to say more and more, but that doesn't sound right. We are becoming less and less a people who trusts. Our guard is up. We don't trust people anymore. I understand it. But it's not good. It's not good that we are not a people that, that trust, especially when it comes to following Jesus. Because following Jesus is all about trust. It's all about trusting him, and it's only when we trust him that we can come to the fourth and, and final essential ingredient and in being able to say, it is well with my soul, and that is acceptance. When it comes to the disappointments and the heartbreak in life, earth-shattering bad news, and I have been with family, a family this week that got earth-shattering bad news, and they've had a choice to make. Are we going to accept this? Or are we going to fight this? Are we going to struggle? Are we going to get angry? Are we going to shake a fist at God? Your ability to put disappointment in the rearview mirror and not let it affect you in a prolonged negative way is largely dependent on your ability to accept the disappointments in life. I've seen people get horrible news and, and, I, and you know just not be able to accept it and they fought it their whole life they've never gotten over it and the whole rest of their life was hamstrung because they were fighting against a disappointment that happened 20 years ago and they never got over it and then I've seen people get just absolutely awful news like this week and I've watched them work through their emotions that come with that kind of news, and eventually they get to a place of acceptance, a place of understanding that bad things happen to all of us in life, and it is acceptance that leads us to a place where we can eventually say, it is well with my soul, and mean it. And that's the thing. It's easy to say it. It's another thing to mean it. I have some really good friends here at the church and for the past 18 or 20 years, they've 
been walking through some hard things in life. Mark and Kathy Swander, I've prayed for them many times in the back as he's updated me on his health condition and different procedures that were going to happen, and we'll just, you know, I'll huddle them up back there and pray with them real quick. I've prayed with them, prayed for them, you know, as I knew dates were coming up, just have, just have lifted Mark and Kathy up different times just through the week. This week I sat down with Mark and Kathy and I invited them to tell their story and we put that on video for you and I would like for you to enjoy that now. I was known as the weeping prophet. He was not unfamiliar with disappointment. He was a man who experienced a lot of disappointment both personally, a lot of personal tragedy and also just in his trying to serve God. He, went, he, he tried to serve God at one of the most difficult times in Israel's history. God called Jeremiah to deliver a very difficult message. No preacher really relishes preaching the message, repent, O sinners, and come to God. But that was his message. Repent, because if you don't, bad things are going to happen. For 40 years, he served the Lord faithfully. He did not compromise his message. He did not compromise his loyalty to God. His family would turn against him. Ultimately, the entire nation of Israel would turn against him. He would live long enough to see his beloved Israel overrun by the enemy. He would see the great city that he loved and the temple completely overrun and destroyed. Jeremiah was a man with a broken heart. You can feel his burden in the prophecies that he wrote in the book of Jeremiah that he wrote. He also wrote the book of Lamentations. Those books are soaked with the tears of Jeremiah. Can you imagine serving God so faithfully your entire life only to get to the end and watch it all unravel and fall apart? It would have been understandable if Jeremiah had died a bitter and broken man. He didn't. Jeremiah had a lot thrown at him. And with the help of God, he was able to face his disappointments and accept them. Jeremiah's faith and courage can be seen in one phrase that we find in his book of Jeremiah, chapter 10, verse 19. Woe to me because of my injury. My wound is incurable. Yet I said to myself, this is my sickness and I must endure it. That might be one of the greatest statements of faith and faithfulness in all of Scripture. I want to isolate with the time we have left this morning three truths about conquering disappointment. The first truth is this, expect disappointments. I don't know how to put it any more plainly than that. Expect disappointments. It's something that we say at Cross Lane all the time. The wind is going to blow. The wind of adversity is going to blow in your life and you're in one of three places right now. You're either going into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm, or you're coming out of one. Those are the three stages of life. I have a saying, the great theologian Brett Wilson, the great philosopher that I am, love this phrase, life is hard. <laughs> life is hard. It really is. There will be days, perhaps even months, weeks, years, where it just, it feels dark. It just feels like the wind never stops blowing. I sometimes think that Christians just expect somehow to be exempt from the disappointments and hardships in life, but that just simply 
is not true. We are never promised an absence of tears this side of heaven. I don't know where we get that. Read your Bible. Read the biographies of the great men and women of faith, and you will discover that faithful believers have, sh- have had their share of disappointments. I have to believe that Abraham was incredibly disappointed by some of the decisions that his nephew Lot made that had a direct impact on his life. I can't imagine the sting that Joseph felt when his brothers sold him into slavery, thinking in their minds, we're never going to see him again and we really don't care. And the betrayal of that. How many times do you think Moses had his heart broken by the people of Israel as he's trying to lead them through this very difficult journey in the wilderness and they just keep messing up and keep messing up? And some of David's sons and even David himself did things that almost wrecked an entire nation. And as you read the letters of Paul, you see him face disappointment time and time again. He was persecuted and mistreated for his faith. He was let down by people in ministry that he counted on and counted as brothers. And his health wasn't great either. I've always been amazed by how surprised we are by the disappointments in life. God never told us that we would go have a life with no disappointments. Jeremiah wasn't trying to fool himself or anybody else. He said, woe is me, my wound is grievous. I think the phrase we read in Scripture was, it's incurable. He openly admitted that his heart had been broken to pieces. He confessed that he had been wounded by those who should have caused him great joy, but they hurt him. It's one of the hard facts of life. Expect disappointments. The second truth we learn from the life of Jeremiah is our disappointments are in God's hands. There had to have been times for Jeremiah where he just felt like he'd been completely abandoned by God. Have you ever been in that space where you just feel like the, the ceiling is definitely there. Your prayers are not getting through. God does not see you. God does not care. Why wasn't God answering Jeremiah's prayers? Why wasn't his preaching bearing any fruit? Was it worth it to serve this hard-hearted people only to see them go their own way? But God knew what was going on because God was ruling, and in some cases, God was overruling in the life of Jeremiah. God allowed Jeremiah to suffer. Now, (laughs) I know that's hard for us to hear, but that's the truth. That God allowed Jeremiah to suffer. And we don't like to really think about that, but it's the truth. Here's the harsh reality. God protected Jeremiah when the king wanted to kill him. God provided food so that Jeremiah would not go hungry. And God knew that Jeremiah would die, and he did not prevent it. God was there. Whether Jeremiah felt his presence or not, God was there. One of the first lies that the devil will whisper in the face of disappointment when it shows up is God has failed you. He's not here. He doesn't see you. He doesn't care about you. Who are you praying to? Why are you doing that? You're wasting your time. You may have some medical situation like the Swanders 
went through. Maybe you read your Bible and you read the great promises of God and you claim some of those for yourself and then it doesn't unfold the way you expected or thought that it would. It doesn't mean that God has failed you. No. It doesn't mean that you failed. It may mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Jeremiah was faithful to God, even to the point of death, but he still didn't see his dreams for his people realized. Dr. A.T. Pearson said disappointments are his appointments. It takes faith to believe that. Here's the truth. God is still on the throne. God is going to accomplish in us and through us all that he has in mind. I want you to listen to Jeremiah as he faces the disappointments in his life. I read this to you a minute ago. Woe to me because of my injury. My wound is incurable. Yet I said to myself, this is my sickness and I must endure it. He didn't blame God. He didn't blame other people. He didn't try to pass the buck. He didn't try to fight the circumstances. He didn't try to change God's mind. By faith, he accepted the burden of his grief. And he trusted God to work his perfect will. His perfect will. Fight the will of God and it will break you. Accept the will of God and it will make you. I've walked with a family this week through incredible, stinging, painful disappointment. And I've watched them choose the latter of those two. They have accepted the will of God. And it's made them. And I would hold them up to any other family that went through hardship and say, that's how you do it. That's what it looks like to trust. See, when you come into times that are stingingly painful and everything in you wants to turn and move the other direction, there's a choice for you to make. And notice I didn't say if that time comes, when that time comes for you, you will have a decision to make. Am I going to accept God's perfect will, even though it doesn't feel or look perfect to me? And it's not necessarily what I want. Am I going to accept it? So expect disappointments from God. Realize that our disappointments are in God's hands. And then third, yield to God's will and let him heal your broken heart and fulfill his desires. There are times when Jeremiah questioned God's will, but he didn't fight God. He didn't try to go his own way. Instead, Jeremiah yielded to the will of God and to the plan of God. Listen, that takes humility. That takes trust. So what happened? The nation of Israel gets taken captive. Jeremiah is kidnapped by fanatics and hauled off to Egypt, where according to tradition, he was stoned to death for preaching about God. You see, I can't take this story and wrap it up in a pretty red bow for us this morning and tell you that it all turned out okay. It didn't turn out okay. Not all the stories in Scripture have happy endings, just like in life, they don't all have happy endings. One might ask the question, so Brett, what did God accomplish through all of this disappointment 
in the life of Jeremiah? Well, for starters, Jeremiah looked an awful lot like Jesus. When Jesus was here on earth, he was with his disciples, and at one point he asked them, who do men say that I am? And one of them said, they say you are the prophet Jeremiah. Can there be a better compliment for Jeremiah than to be laid side by side with Jesus as a comparison? As you look at the life of Jeremiah and you find parallels, one of the parallels, you see a lot of parallels between him and Jesus. What makes it that way? And the answer is suffering. The disappointments in Jeremiah's life are the things that carved him into a man that would look like Jesus. The four men in the Old Testament who most look like Jesus are four men who suffered in life. Joseph, Moses, David, Jeremiah. See, when you and I suffer, it means that God is polishing us. He's, he's molding us to make us look more like his own son. Do not let this make you angry or bitter. Do not let this make you turn away from following God. It's definitely tempting to do that. I've seen people do it. I just know this. I just know that God builds character in the disappointments of life and he gives us a witness. I've lost track of how many times I've gone through bitter disappointments, things that were hard, and I could just hear God say, Brett, I'm getting you ready. I'm getting you ready. I'm, I'm molding you. In the middle of his disappointments, Jeremiah bore witness to the Lord. By his preaching, by his living, Jeremiah pointed others toward God. Disappointments aren't just an opportunity for maturity. Disappointments are an opportunity for ministry. It's almost as if God has said, Brett, I'm going to let you touch this. I'm going to let you experience this so that you can know what this feels like. Because you're going to be walking with people who are going to go through this. So get ready. Because it's your turn. And it hasn't been fun. I can't tell you that I've always handled it the best way. I can't tell you that every time it's ever happened, I'm just like, whoa, God, this is awesome. You know, you're forming me, <laughs> you're polishing me, you're shaping me. Woo! No. It's hard. But we have Jeremiah's words today to guide us and shape us, and we have them because of what he went through. Because he submitted, because he yielded, because he trusted God. And he accepted his disappointments for the glory of God. I want to close this morning by reading some scripture to you. Powerful scripture. Very familiar words. You're going to hear these and think, oh yeah, I've heard these. This comes out of Romans, to me, pound for pound, one of the best books in the, in the whole scriptures. Romans chapter 8, and you hear that and you're like, oh yeah, Romans chapter 8, that's awesome. Just, just let this wash over you this morning as we close. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. And then I love this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can trust him. Even when it's hard. Even when you don't understand. Even when your heart is broken. You can trust him. I'm going to close in just a minute. We're going to sing this wonderful old hymn You just need to know that we have people down front that wait to pray with you. That's a thing that we have every week. There's somebody down here. If you need to have someone pray with you, we would love to offer that ministry to you. But this week, or next month, or whenever the wind blows in your life, I hope you will be able to sing with Horatio Spafford. When peace like a river attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say it is well it is well with my soul let's pray father your goodness and kind to us is immeasurable we can look around and see blessing upon blessing Glory upon glory, victory upon victory. And Father, we can feel pain. And I pray, Lord, that when we go through the pain, that we will have the trust in you that is necessary to accept your good and perfect and pleasing will, to know that you are working something out for your glory and for the good of mankind. And Father, there are so many times when it makes no sense to us. Still would we say, it is well. It is well with my soul.